Good morning, church. Excited about getting into God's word this morning. Certainly um, not the normal way, but uh, nevertheless a blessing. I do want to give you a big strong word here uh, that while everything seems to be changing around us, God's word has not changed. God's word has not changed. The Bible describes God's word as uh, it will be here forever. It stands forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we feel like we have the rock-solid foundation and truth, and so we will look to that again this morning. If you would, turn in the Bible to the book of Philippians. That's where we've been now for several weeks, and that's where we will start this morning. Philippians chapter 3. While you're turning to Philippians 3, I just want to be honest that... Uh, this is an emotional time. I, I miss you guys a lot. We miss you guys a lot. Uh, us pastors continue to talk about how much uh, this just feels different. I'm used to the rhythm of my life being Bible studies several days a week, meeting in small groups, uh, church services, tons of interaction, and all of that's kind of been taken away. Um, and so I find myself thinking about you all and uh, my heart longing for you guys. The saying goes that absence makes the heart grow fonder, and I think that's happening now. I hope you are thinking of each other, praying for each other, considering each other, and also I hope that you are growing in your uh, love and affection for each other. And one of the things that we want to come from that is that whenever we do get to meet together again, it's going to be awesome. It will be, a, it will be a thrill. It will be a big push uh, for us to get together see each other, recognize each other, and encourage one another to keep uh, trusting in Christ. He's our King, he's our Lord and Savior, and we're here to worship him. Read with me, if you will, beginning in Philippians chapter 3. Today we're going to look at three verses, verses 17 through 19. Philippians 3, verses 17 through 19. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Three verses this morning from Philippians and from those three verses, I want to share with you three points. Number one, heartfelt love. Number two, heavy conversations. And number three, helpful distinctions. Heartfelt love, heavy conversations, and helpful distinctions. Let's begin with heartfelt love. As I opened, I talked about the way us pastors are feeling a, a deeper love for you all, and that's, that's where this passage begins today. We have the, the author of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, that one that we have come to know as a leader in so many ways for the cause of Christ, for the kingdom of God. He was an, a missionary in the early church, loves his people. Verse 17 begins with brothers. 
You know, that word brothers here in, in the Bible means brothers and sisters. It's one of those words that means not only the men, but also the women. It's brothers and sisters. And he uses that as a term of endearment to uh, let them know that he feels like he's a part of them. This is not so much that he is talking down to them or he is the, the boss instructing those lesser. It means that they are his brothers and sisters in Christ. For we have one who is above us, namely God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And and so when he says brothers, he's tying them in, and it immediately shows us that Paul loves these people. He has a heartfelt love for them. But it's more um, evident than just there. Let me show you several things. Let me show you a couple places. If you'll jump down just a few verses, and I want to keep you looking at your Bible this morning. If you'll jump down just a few verses, look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, he uses the term again, therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In one verse, he says, brothers and sisters, he says, I love you, I long for you, you are my joy, you are my crown, my beloved. Think about that. This guy is just going on and on with how much heartfelt love he has for them, with the compassion and affection that he feels for them, and, and this is just the way he is. This is just the way he talks. This is the way he is addressing them. It's the way he feels. But it's more than just here. Jump back all the way to chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. You see his heart there. Go back a little bit further to chapter 2, verse 20. You remember this from a few weeks ago when I preached. He says, for I have no one like him, speaking about Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul loves them so much that he genuinely is concerned about their lives and their well-being, and he has also found now somebody else, Timothy, who feels the same way. Genuine concern for them. Paul loves these people. Go back a little bit further to chapter 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved. He loves them. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. There you get, we see again this term brothers, brothers and sisters, that he loves them. But perhaps one of the very best places to see how much he cares and loves for them is in the beginning, verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1, this first letter. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now look at this, verses seven and eight. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This type of talk comes from a heart that loves people. Paul loves the Philippian church. And it's a good starting place for us here today to ask, do we have a heartfelt love? Do you have a group of people that you love? Do you know what it means to love? Do you have feelings for certain people in different places? And while I think we would all answer yes on some levels, let me, let me remind you that it's good for us to have uh, lots of love in lots of different directions. We may love our coworkers. We may love our teammates. We may love those who live close to us that we see on a, on a regular. 
And those are such good things. I remember, and I'm just going to be honest here, I remember when I was waiting tables. I waited tables at Bonefish Grill years ago, and I worked there for several years, and I was single, and so we would work together long hours, and then when we'd get off work, we'd hang out together, we'd go play basketball or golf, or I remember staying after work some late nights and playing ping pong, and I just remember building these close relationships with coworkers, people that I had no a relationship with other than serving tables together in a restaurant and then whatever came out of that afterward. And then I remember when it came time for me to quit, I had gotten married and what I used to love as a single person, I didn't like anymore now that I was married and it came time for me to quit. And so I, I put in my notice, two week, four week notice, something like that and the time came. And listen, I, I remember my very last day walking out of Bonefish Grill. And I remember clocking out on the computer system. I remember going and hugging the people that I had known the longest. And, and I, to this day, and I think it was 2005, I remember walking out of the restaurant over there on Hurstbourne Park, Parkway and walking to my car, and I remember tearing up. I remember getting emotional thinking, I, I won't do this again. And unless I come back to eat here, and they're still working there, I may never see these people again. What was a good long run of several years of spending time together had become a real heartfelt love for people that I work with, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. In so many different directions, you have groups or pods of people that you know, you connect with, you've bonded with, and God has given you a love there. Well, listen to me. The Bible is wanting us to understand that we must get that way toward the people of God. We must. We must find ourselves growing in our heart toward Christian people. I'm not to say to not grow that way toward other people, but you must have a group of believers that you are growing in your love toward. Do you have a church that you love? Do you have a people who love God and love his truth and are committed to that that you are committed to? Now, here's the key for having heartfelt love. In order to grow in loving people, you have to allow yourself to be loved by them. That's the way it goes. We cannot stay as far away. We cannot distance ourselves and, and, and desire for our, our love to grow. We must lean in. We must work to love so that we can be loved. We must want and desire there to be a heartfelt love and then take the proper steps to allow love to be uh, growing. We begin our passage here today in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. We are reminded of the heartfelt love that Paul had for these people. Now, this isn't even a church that he's there with. He's not there meeting with them. He's not rubbing together with them uh, weekly on a Sunday service. Now, from a distance, he still has his heartfelt love for them. May God be creating in us a desire to love and be loved, and may the Lord be working there. But the purpose of that love takes a further step. So as we move from heartfelt love, we now move on to heavy conversations. Look what he says in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you now and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Because of his love for these people, because of a heartfelt love, a deep feeling, because of a yearning, as he said in chapter one, for them, 
This leads the Apostle Paul to have serious talks with them. Heavy conversations. Folks, church, if you've never heard this before, let me remind you yet again. We don't have any real relationships until we are willing and able to have hard conversations. For we are just scratching the surface on what it means to love and love deeply if we're not willing to have the hard conversations. While I began this passage talking about the way he loves them, it very quickly unfolds in the next verse to him having to talk about heavy things. He says that it's so heavy that he tells them even with tears. Have you ever felt so deeply about something and so burdened that even from a distance as you think about these people, as you're writing a letter, that you start to tear up? That's what's happening here. And he tells them that there are people who are good examples, and he tells them that there are people who are enemies of Christ. Church, one of the things that is so incredibly true is that life is hard. Sin is a real thing. Life is a struggle, and we know that to be true. We know that there are times where we are frustrated. There are times when things are just not going the way that we want them to. There are times when we want to quit or give up. There are times when we uh, see tension grow in relationships. There are times when there is a a distance or there's something in the way. There are times when we get our feelings hurt and we feel offended. There are times where we need to uh, exercise forgiveness. Life is complicated and full of all of these things. And I want you to know that the beginning step seeing progress or growth or healing or restoration or redemption and all of those things is the willingness out of love to have heavy conversations. Paul is writing to the church and while he certainly loves them, he praises them and encourages them and he thanks them, he brags on them, he also brings up some hard stuff. He starts to point out, and this will be my third point, the the helpful distinctions, but he starts to point out the difference between examples and enemies. I want to ask you seriously, are you okay with having some heavy conversations? Are you okay with having some heavy conversations? In your home, are there ever some heavy conversations? I hope that you can think back on your life, and even though they were awkward and tense and and uncomfortable, you now have a great appreciation for those. As I've said before, I remember to this day being a sophomore in college and not having any idea where my life was going. I remember the summer before that, my parents sitting me down at home during summer break and saying, what's your plan? And me saying to them, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to do. And I remember plain as day, my dad saying, well, you better find out. And I remember that day, my dad and my mom pushing me through a heavy conversation to figure something out, to make some decisions and go with it. I remember just the other night, as I was putting my boys to bed and just talking with them as they laid down and asked them if they still loved Jesus. And they said, yeah, yeah, we do. I said, well, what would, what would happen if nobody else did? I asked my sons, what would happen if nobody else loved Jesus and so you were left as the only ones? They said to me, well, then it would be hard. And folks, that's a real conversation. 
That's a heavy conversation. Now, I encourage them that it doesn't look like we're going to be the only ones that are believing in Jesus. We have an encouraging church. We know lots of other believers. We have a group of people, a family of God, who also trust in Christ. We look around the world, and we see hundreds and thousands and millions of people that cling to the Word of God and believe in the gospel of Jesus. But we also need to understand that we need to ready ourselves for Christianity getting hard. And what if some of those around us abandon the faith? What if those don't believe in Jesus? What if it becomes hard? These are the type of conversations that are real, heavy conversations. What about the conversation that starts to point out that not everybody loves God? Not everybody believes. Not everybody thinks that Jesus is the Son of God who sacrificed himself to die on the cross for you. What about those conversations? What about the conversations that say you should not be doing that? That this thing that you're doing is wrong. What about the conversations that say you ought to apologize? Hey, I think you're wrong there. These heavy conversations are a part of life, and they are a part of the Christian life, and I want you to see that it flows out of his love. Paul goes from loving and, and, and brotherly, sisterly talk to now bringing up some heavy conversations. If you look at verse 19, he says destruction. If you look at verse 19, he says that they have a God other than the one true God. He ha- they have a glory other than the glory of Christ. They have their minds set on things other than heaven as we are supposed to. Verse 19 is a very sobering verse as he describes people who are living for themselves. He's describing people who are living for things other than God. And that's a heavy conversation to bring up. The Apostle Paul has a heartfelt love. He has has heavy conversations with these people. And lastly, most importantly, he has a helpful distinction. He leads them into noticing the difference between examples and enemies. Paul tells the church here in Philippians that there are examples to follow for the glory of God and the kingdom of God, and there are enemies of the cross of Christ. I want you to see right away that he is purposefully putting these opposed to each other. In verse 17, he says, those who walk. And in verse 18, he says, "Um, I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, those whom walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. If you'll notice in back-to-back verses, he uses the same word, walk. He reminds us that there are two different ways to walk. There are two different directions Two different ways, two different roads, two different paths. Those who walk in an example for Christ and those who walk as an enemy of Christ. Helpful distinctions. We have to look closely here. This is not merely a message to be an example and an enemy or an example and not an enemy. This is not Paul saying that you need to be good and not bad. This is not Paul giving us some, some vague descriptions about how we live and how we don't live, for he is getting right to the heart of the matter. He's getting right to the distinctions of the faith. What's he talking about? Why is he saying this? To understand church 
And I'm so thankful that here on this very first day of doing a live stream, this very first day of you watching from home, as we've continued, we've not broken away from where we've been in Philippians, that Paul takes us in Philippians 3 to the cross of Christ. For in a world where every single one of us are worried and questioned and, and, and stressed and uh, prayerful and looking to God, there is no better focus at all than for us to look at the cross of Christ. And in Philippians 3, he takes us there in verse 18. In order to understand the helpful distinctions, we have to understand the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me remind you what the cross is. Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to us. He was born of a virgin. God left his throne. This is the incarnation. God took on flesh and Jesus became a man. The holy, eternal son of God became a human being. And he grew up and he lived and we know virtually nothing about his life. And then he began his ministry at around age 30, and he began to love and teach and share and heal and do miracles. And for three years of ministry, he was blowing everybody away at just how different he was, how other he was. He was like us in that he was a human being, but he was so much better than us in that he was flawless, he was sinless, he was perfect. Jesus was holy. And then at the right time, the opposition to him increased. More and more people wanted to get rid of him. They saw him getting in the way of the religious systems that there already were, and so they decided to crucify him. It's one of the wildest scenes in the Bible. It is truly the worst thing that's ever happened. They went against Jesus. They went against God. And so they took him and put him on trial. And while the leaders didn't see any reason for him to be killed, the people, the common people, the masses were yelling out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so in an attempt to keep the people happy, they let him be crucified. And as Jesus was going to the cross on his way to crucifixion, Jesus says, nobody takes my life from me. And they sit there thinking, oh, we're about to. We're about to nail you to this cross. Jesus says, no, nobody takes my life from me. I'm laying my life down on my own accord. One of the beautiful truths about our great God is that nobody puts him in an inconvenience. He is the sovereign Lord. While we may be disrupted big time in our lives by the coronavirus, God is not. It's not affecting him. He's the Lord and he's in charge. He has us right where he wants us. He works all things out for his good pleasure. So Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He gave himself up. He went obediently to the cross. He sacrificed himself. He was sacrificed under the plan of God. And the cross of Christ shows us the outstanding, amazing love of God that God so loved the world that he gave his son to be killed in our place so that we could get right with God. At the cross, we see love. We see that God loves us, and so he killed his son for us. God loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us. At the cross, we see sin. One would quickly ask, why would that have to happen? Why was that necessary? And the, the answer is because sin is a real thing. We all have sinned against God. We fall short of the glory of God. We have lived ourselves with disobedience to God. And there is no way that a sinful people can come into the presence of a holy God. Something had to happen. The sin is real against a holy God. And so God gave the cross. 
through that work on the cross, we have forgiveness. There can be forgiveness for anybody who believes that. Anybody who turns to God, anybody who says, Christ died for me, Lord, have mercy upon me. God, forgive me, and where's forgiveness? We see sacrifice in that Jesus went and gave himself for us. We see judgment in that God was willing to judge his son on the cross. If there is no judgment, then God would have said, you don't have to, Jesus. We see judgment. We see mercy in the fact that God would pardon us even though we were the ones who deserved to die. We see wrath and that it was real and it was ugly and it was strong and it was serious. We remember Jesus being on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We remember Jesus feeling abandoned. We remember when Jesus hung his head, breathed his last and died. The cross reminds us of all these things. These are real subjects. To ignore these is to be opposed to the cross. To put our focus in another direction is to minimize the cross. To oppose the cross of Christ is to oppose God. When we focus on the cross of Christ, the real things come to light. In light of all of that, may we look back here of what he's saying. Paul is encouraging the church to look at good examples. He says, join in imitating me. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example. Paul is wanting them to understand as part of what it means to be a Christian is that we look around at those who are more mature than us, who've been Christians longer, who've been faithful over a period of time. And we are to say, in, in some ways, I want to be like them. I want my life to count the way their lives count. I want my life to be worshiped to God the way their lives are worshiped to God. And Paul teaches the Philippian church that this is a part of Christianity. Earlier, when Matt McBroom read from 2 Corinthians 1, we have Paul describing yet again their good example to this church, a different church. Today, we're looking at Philippians, but in the letter to the Corinthians, he says this, again, as a good example. He says, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. He says, you look at us, you see simplicity and godly sincerity. He wants the church to know that they have a good example in him, and Paul would often say this. Many of you can remember Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He said that often in his letters. There are good examples out there. And may we understand that one of the ways that God builds up the body and witnesses to the world is through the faithful examples of those followers of Christ. Church, I want to give you a real example of one that I think is happening even now. Over the past week, our church went all in on seeking to have our Dare to Care food pantry. I'm thankful for our church. I love our church. I love the people that are working hard. Under all the regulations that we have coming down of social distancing and being careful and no more than 10 people, we have maintained a Dare to Care food pantry. We've had people here on Tuesdays and people here on Wednesdays working together, figuring out how can we continue to get food out to the many people in our area that have needs, and we want to be able to do that. In the pouring rain on Wednesday afternoon, we had a handful of people outside in the rain, rain jackets and umbrellas, lining up cars so they could come through. Nobody touched anybody. They'd roll their window down. We had people bring out grocery carts of food, meat and vegetables and eggs and, and, and all of those things and loading them up in their car and they left. 
Here's what we want people to understand. That God has so impacted our lives that we want God to use our lives to impact theirs. What an example that should be. What an example we hope that is to many others. Why don't we just shut down? Why don't we just say that we can't? Why don't we just let them go in need? Well, because God is teaching us that we want to care. And for as long as we can, we want to. May we understand here today the distinction of somebody who is a good example and somebody who is not. And while there are good examples, let us now lastly look to those which are a bad example. And here, even through tears, Paul says there are people who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. People who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Can you imagine? It's one thing to say, I'm not such a good person. It's one thing to admit that, hey, we're all sinners and I'm not perfect. It's another thing for the Bible to describe you as an enemy to the cross. Many people recognize that the cross of Jesus, you see it on necklaces, you see it in tattoos, you see it everywhere, the cross of Christ. Many people recognize that the cross of Christ is the picture of love and sacrifice and commitment for the Holy Son of God gave himself for us. God is teaching us here in Philippians chapter three, verse 18, that there are people who walk as enemies to that. Now, what I need to show you right now is that he's not speaking to those who would say they're enemies. You and I know that there's a world of people who would straightforward say, I don't believe in that. I'm not about the cross. He's not speaking to that. He's speaking to those who would not claim to be enemies, but they are enemies. Let me show you. An enemy is defined as a person who feels hatred for, a person who fosters harmful designs against, a person who engages in antagonistic activities against another, an adversary or opponent. There are those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They are not those who are openly saying it. Here he refers to those who think that they are living for God but are actually not. I want to show you two ways that there are enemies here, two different ways. One is by their beliefs, and two is by their lifestyle. One is the things that they say, the things that they preach, the things that they want other people to embrace, the, the truths, the, 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 the faiths that they want people to be about that are enemies to the cross of Christ. The other is their actions, their living, their lifestyle. Let's start with belief. Look back to verse nine. This is what we saw just a couple weeks ago. In verse nine, Paul is pointing out, he is making a helpful distinction that this life he is living where he counts all things as lost, he counts everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. This life is based on, look at verse nine, having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or obedience to the law. Folks, if we want to really read the Bible, we must see that the Bible teaches you and I get right with God based off of Jesus, not based off our own efforts. If we want to really be people that are helpful and point people to the cross, we see the cross as the place where God sent his son to die to make us right with God. We must be people who believe that Jesus died for us and by faith we are forgiven of our sins. By believing that, God gives us the righteousness of Christ. And we must be people who do not believe 
that we can ever become righteous on our own. No amount of effort toward being good, no amount of effort toward obedience, apart from the finished work of Christ, will make us righteous in the eyes of God. God is so much higher and holy than we are. God is so much more holy than we are. God is more faithful than we are that even our efforts never really get us there. We must understand, we must understand that God saves people by faith. And when we believe God and trust in God, that's where we get our righteousness. If you are helping people try to get their lives centered on God apart from this faith, then you are an enemy to the cross. To tell somebody that just being good-hearted or attempting to be good minimizes the cross. To minimize the cross is to be an enemy of the cross. We must make sure that we understand what we are to be believing, but not only our belief, but also our lifestyle. Look what it says in verses 12 through 16. While Paul has just said he wants a righteousness that comes through faith, one could say well, then how I live doesn't really matter. And here in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, look at this, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul does not say that one's lifestyle is indifferent. It doesn't matter. Paul says that it is time to press on, that his faith produces a pressing on, that how he lives does matter. And when people try to say that how you live doesn't matter, then they are enemies of the cross of Christ. When people want to say that morale doesn't matter and right or wrong doesn't matter and obedience or disobedience doesn't matter, then they are getting away from the message of the cross of Christ. For what we must understand is that while salvation and being saved and eternal life in heaven comes through faith in Christ, that faith in Christ at work in us produces now a desire to live faithfully to God, a pressing on, a walking according to an example, a faithful faith that now loves to live for God. One commentator commenting on this, reacting to verse 19 says, Paul's example is the opposite of verse 19. He says, Paul is faithful to the cross. Christ is his glory, and his mind is set on heavenly things. The enemies of the cross in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But not Paul, and not his desire for the church. We are to be faithful to the cross. We are to glory in Christ Jesus. We are to have our minds set on heavenly things. These are helpful distinctions. It seems big and bold to actually say that there are enemies to the cross of Christ, but it's helpful. If you're not being about Jesus and his work through the cross, then perhaps we are being an enemy. Again, those who bear the name of Christian, those who are uh, thinking that they are a part of church or thinking that they are a part of the religion, who do not embrace the work of Christ on the cross, are in position to potentially be enemies of the cross of Christ. 
and we actually take time to consider that we could be an enemy to God, it ought to slow us down. It ought to get, it ought to get us looking in the mirror and asking ourselves, am I on his team or am I not? Am I opposing God or am I with him? Could I be his enemy? I remember when the kids have gotten me into these Avengers movies. We've been watching a lot of movies lately because of this coronavirus. We're just stuck at home and we've got more free time than we could ever imagine. The kids have gotten me into these Avengers movies and I have seen now the movies where we have Thanos, this big, ugly, mean bad guy. And one of the things that you just hate as you watch that is the very idea that he might win. The very idea that he could beat those who are fighting for the good. One of the things that would absolutely disgust anybody is if you were to see the likes of Captain America, Iron Man, the Hulk, or whoever, go and join him and team up with Thanos. It would, it would break your heart. It would be horrible to see that. And in a such bigger and more real way, God describes that there are people who walk as enemies to the cross of Christ. Folks, Christians are to be people who know the cross to be the place where our Savior died for us. Jesus is the one who loves us more than anybody will ever love us. And the cross shows us that. One of my favorite old hymns, I got a hymnal here, and we don't use these as much anymore. But I want to close by reading to you some lyrics from a great, great song. It says, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while Calvary's cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. And then the chorus, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Church, may we never be found opposing the cross of Christ. May we be those who say, thank you, God, for giving your son for me. May we be those who say, I want to repent of my sins and embrace the work of Christ and be a believer and follower. And may God in his mercy, through his power working in us, make us examples to all those around us. May we never be enemies to God and his cross and our Savior. But may we be examples of the great love of God through his cross where he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the heartfelt love that Paul has for his people, the heavy conversations, 
and there the helpful distinctions. Oh God, guard us from being an enemy to your purposes. Oh God, empower us to be examples of what the truth is like and what Jesus is as a Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you that in all of this time where things are changing, you have not changed. Your word has not changed. And so we come to it. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for one who offers forgiveness to us. We believe. Father, strengthen our church. For any of those that may be watching now, may we trust in you and glory.